This episode of Experiences You Should Have is brought to you by Soul Blends, handcrafted in Oregon from botanicals to bottle, multiple healing balms, salves, and moisturizing products to bring life to your skin. Check out Soul Blends and use the code EYSH to receive 10% off your order. Just, it's beautiful and really old. I guess the churches and the, the construction of all the buildings and the cobblestones on the streets. It just, it pulls you back. It definitely puts you in a different mindset and almost a different time frame. Welcome to Experiences You Should Have, your how-to guide for amazing experiences. I'm your host, Gail Manasco, and today we are talking about the Camino de Santiago. The Camino de Santiago is one of the most well-known pilgrimages in the world. It spans 500 miles or 825 kilometers. It starts in France and ends in northwest Spain at Santiago de Compostela. Its history is rooted in the discovery of St. James the Apostle in a field in Galicia, essentially about 800 years after his death. Legend says that his body was transported to Galicia by two disciples in a boat led by angels. Now, El Camino de Santiago is translated as the Way of St. James. It's a pilgrimage to the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela, where the remains of St. James lie. Historically, the pilgrimage would start wherever you resided, but now the official route begins in the town of St. jean pied de port which is located in southwestern France. The Camino de Santiago became quite popular in the Middle Ages with over 250,000 pilgrims every year. In pre-pandemic times, aka 2019, the Camino de Santiago had over 350,000 people walk the Camino. While this route is rooted uh, as a religious pilgrimage, that's not necessarily the reason it's walked in all cases today. I interviewed Rob Wisnowskis on his experience of walking the Camino de Santiago, who was recently on Experiences that You Should Have podcast on hiking the CDT, the Continental Divide Trail, which made him a triple crown through hiker, as you need to hike the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail to become a triple crown through hiker. Now, the Camino de Santiago is very different from a through-hike. And Rob explains why, how, and why this is one of his favorite experiences. All right. Well, welcome, Rob, back to Experiences You Should Have podcast. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. And I'm excited. I'm happy. <laughs> this, is a, this is a great one. This is a 
definitely a favorite of mine. I'm I'm so excited. We uh, we blazed the trail with you talking about the Continental Divide Trail, the CDT. Um, but today we're talking about the Camino de Santiago. Did I say mm-hmm. how'd I do? Yeah. I do okay. Santiago. Yeah, well, yeah. I my Spanish was horrible. I learned a little bit, but my pronunciation of these places is at best American. <laughs> so yeah, Camino de Santiago. So you you are a through hiker. You have hiked thousands upon thousands of miles. And 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 you and I were were chatting a few weeks ago, and this one came to light. Um how much you loved um, this trail, the Camino de Santiago. And so I'm just curious if you can explain to our listeners, first off, what is this trail and what makes it special? Yeah. Um, Well, definitely you mentioned a good point in there that it's going from through hiking to this is different. There's definitely a different vibe to this because um, it started as a pilgrimage um, a religious pilgrimage from the Catholics that were either um, had sinned or the priest had told them to go walk to Santiago to be forgiven. And um, they had a shell and they would carry the shell and they could get alms, you know, as they were going food and water in the shell. And it just kind of grew into what it is now over, you know, years and years and years of that. And the idea is you can walk out your door, like anywhere you are, like you could be in, in France um, and just literally walk out your front door and just walk to Santiago. But this trail has become so well blazed that this is one that's a very common one. There's so many different ones, but the Camino Frances is, is definitely the, the most common one, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so why, why did you hike the Camino de Santiago? Uh, it was, there's two things that had happened. One to a friend of mine that had already hiked it, uh, really good friends with and, um, respect her a lot. And she had done this hike and some of the stories and she told me about it. She said, you have to go do this. You have to go do this hike if you're, you know, cause I was looking for the next, the next hike to do. Um, and so it was like, okay, I, I, I've got some time. I'll go do this. Um, and she was right, you know, absolutely not through hiking. It's a different type of hike, but it was beautiful, um, in its own beautiful ways. So that was one of the reasons was a friend. Plus then it's like, mm, I've got time and I can get over to Europe and do some traveling there. Um, why not hit a Camino at the same time? And it's shorter. So if you only have like a month and a half, you can, you can do the whole thing. Right, right. This isn't a five-month endeavor. Um, so, so the Camino de Santiago is about uh, 500 miles. Is that correct? Yeah, right around 500, depending on if you're starting it from St. Jean, Port, and going to Santiago. Or like the other Caminos, there's different ranges depending on your route. And you can take a few different routes along the way. So if you do the most common one, yeah, you're looking at 500 miles. All right. All right. And, and so, so 500 miles, help me with the math here. How many miles is that a day? Um, well, 
that depends on your hiking style. So if you want to hike bigger days where you're doing, you know, 40, 50 kilometers a day, um, you can really, you know, move through this trail in like 20 days. Um, if you're moving fast, um, and that's pretty much what I ended up doing. It was like the 17th, April 17th, um, was when I started. What year was this? This is 2015. Yeah. I did this one in 2015. I ended up finishing about the 8th. Yeah. Maybe May 8th, the following month. So okay. I was I was moving pretty quick on yeah. this one. Yeah, you were. Season through hiker. Just doing yeah. the Camino. If you yeah, if you get the trail legs under you, you can really put some miles in on this one. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, let's let's paint the picture. You know, when you when you start out, uh, what is what is it like? What are what are the people like around you? Um, yeah, this is one of the things I loved about this trail is the camaraderie and getting to see like the through hike camaraderie on a very small scale, but quickly um, because everyone's showing up and they have their fresh backpacks and they're full of all, you know, you have bigger pikes, uh, bigger packs and bags for this. I literally saw people carrying luggage, <laughs> just all different types of people um, just doing this and not having any clue what they're doing quite yet. Um, and just the, that buzz of the excitement and, how do you go and get your passport? Cause you have a passport for this hike that you get stamps in and figuring that out. And it, there's definitely an air of camaraderie. And then in St. Jean P deport, the people there that host hikers, they get a million hikers. So like they're super pumped about helping out on that community and they, they love it. You know, if you don't like hikers and doing that, you're not going to host them. So. <laughs> right, right. And it's, yeah, just everyone's so happy and excited. And, um, you know, you're in Spain, well, actually in France, right on the border of Spain. But it's just a, a beautiful air of um, the camaraderie and the people getting their shells and figuring out their, their passports and then just starting out. And you actually start walking across the Pyrenees the first day. So just it's beautiful and really old just the churches and the the construction of all the buildings and the cobblestones on the streets um it just it pulls you back it definitely puts you in a different mindset and almost a different time frame of when you're out there but then yep a lot of people with their big packs and luggage and logistics and books and who's got what and where did you come from? Cause you're meeting people from all over the world. Um, people from Germany. I made some really good friends, um, uh, from Germany and, um, yeah, Finland, uh, all over the place that I had just met some amazing people. So you're meeting people from all over the world, yeah. all just going to this one spot to start this walk. Um, and yeah. So why, why are most people doing this? It, is this is it still a religious pilgrimage you know or I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of varying reasons but but what did you hear from the people around you uh, a lot of people that i met two things and this this happens on a lot of trails anyway a lot of students that were in a gap that had some time and were thinking 
this seems like a nice thing to go do and be out an adventure on your own and walk across different places. And like, it just seems really, you know, that you're, you're young, go do something. And this is something that is well-managed. So there's, it's well-documented. There's a lot of, you know what you're, you know, you can follow the guidebooks, you can follow the maps. There's a lot of people. So you feel safer and you're not kind of getting just out into the woods alone, not knowing it's like, you can stay in albergs and hotels every all day if you want to. Um, and there's a really good structure behind this. So it doesn't feel like you're just winging it, you know, and out in on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of older people that had, um, just gone out to do it as, you know, after retirement, you find the same thing on long distance trails where now they're living their life and they're out and about and wanting to experience things and it's beautiful countryside. And, and then you also have people that have done the Camino several times and they just keep going back because it's, it's beautiful and they love the trail life, that, that trail life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really interesting. Um, now are there, so I just kind of imagine just a mass of people starting out. I mean, do people spread <laughs> out? Like what, like, what is it? What's the vibe like? Yeah, it, it seemed to me like it's just, it can handle, I mean, there's, they, they talk about in the guidebooks, like a quarter million people doing this every year where wow. it's, it's like, there's so many people that it's kind of set up for that. Um, I went a little early. So in April, when I started, I started a little bit ahead of most of the big crowds of people. Um, and that was by the advice of my friend who said, go early because you'll avoid some of the heat in the, you know, June, July, and the, the hot parts of the year in Spain, as well as, um, bless people that you're going to have to not worry about finding a place to spend the night or sometimes you'd have to walk from place to place to place to figure out where you're going to, you know, if you're going to stay in an albergue, where you're going to stay. Mm-hmm. And those can get really crowded. So I went a little early, so I didn't really have the rush of what you might think of, you know, so many people starting and just filling up the, the lines of getting your shell and getting your passport where they do that. Uh, but I'd imagine also that they're ready for that influx of people in -hmm. those busy months. So they probably have a lot of volunteers and people helping get those pilgrims in line, you know, Mm -hmm. moved through so they can start walking and, and you can spread out because you can hit, you can stop at the first town, you can stop at the second town, the third town. So it's geared to handle the influx of people that, that end up doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what were the biggest highlights on, on the Camino? Um, Pamplona, there's just the biggest highlights were some of the cities that you get to walk through in Spain. Some of these landmarks with the gorgeous architecture in the churches um, and being in some of these um, cathedrals for a mass, because you can go to the pilgrim masses. They have masses just for pilgrims. Um, and some of these churches on, on the places you go through. So definitely some of the highlights being, you know, the cities, Pamplona, Burgos, Leon, and of course, Santiago at the end. But to me, some of the field walks where you end up walking through some of these vineyards 
you're out in the middle of the country and it's just it uh, you know flowers forever and the vineyards and the sunsets and the you know the cafe that you stop in in the morning to get a coffee or a, a bagel or baguette or whatever you want in the morning like just that air of that lifestyle and that countryside and what you kind of imagine when you think of Spain and romance novels and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the reason you think of Spain that way. Like it's, it's like that. So highlights are definitely some of the cathedrals and cities, but then you get out into the countryside that just is beautiful. Wow. Ah, gosh, I, I want to, I want to see that. I want to experience it. It, especially as we were doing this interview in 2021 and it's, it's been a very strange, it's been a very strange year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, you, you may or may not know this, but do you know what is happening from like a COVID standpoint, if what people are doing as you, far as like Camino wise in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. I personally don't, I could imagine that there's, there wasn't much at all going on um, through COVID because of, I'd imagine the shutdowns and, and, you know, only the bits of pieces I heard of the news. I don't watch a lot of news, but from what I heard, Spain had gotten hit pretty hard. So yeah, I'd imagine they would have just shut it down, but I, I literally don't know. I don't yeah. know what, what they would have done through that. Yeah, I'll look that up and I'll make sure to add that to the show notes on experiences you should have dot com. This is definitely something that may require some some planning. I would imagine with the amount of people on the Camino, did like, what did you do as far as staying places? Where would you camp? Would you stay in hotels? Would you stay in people's homes? Did you have to book things in advance? How did how did that work out? Yeah, my style for sure is just kind of wing it. But once you get on the trail, you start figuring it out. There's places to stay in each town that are they're called albergues. And there's a municipal alberg in some towns, which is usually very cheap to stay at. And it's kind of like a, you know, a hostel where there's a lot of beds in one room. Some church has um, albergs in them where you can actually stay in the church and there's bunk rooms and they're really nicely done. Some of them are, you know, perfect. It's a bed, there's a bathroom, it's a you know shared bathroom. And then you have a place to plug in your phone if you need to. And then some of the churches even have places to put your shoes. So there's like a shoe locker. <laughs> you could imagine oh. the smell, the smell wow. of hundreds of bedrooms <laughs> with their shoes where you, you put your shoes in a certain place before you go in. So um, some of them are really nice. And then um, what I learned is that as you can stay in some of the, the municipal albergs, which are very similar, you know, it's just a, a big room with a lot of bunks and a lot of people and, bring earplugs and headphones or music so you can sleep because this, this snoring is pretty, pretty sensational. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something else I learned that was really cool. And that's that a lot of people will open their house up. Um, some of them, you know, if you have a big house, you'll have a bunch of different rooms and there's like two beds in each room or three beds. And 
if you're walking with people that day and you become friends with them, you can actually stay in people's houses Mm -hmm. and they usually have either signs or some kind of way that you'll find out. Sometimes there's a bulletin board. When you walk into the town, you'll see a bulletin board that has the information for all of the places and in the guidebooks. Um, If you get a later guidebook, you can get one that has a lot of the places in it. So you can pick like someone's house, which I think is actually a lot cooler because you're getting a lot of flavor from staying in someone's house. That's just a little different than you'd get at a municipal Yeah. or some of the churches are also fantastic and beautiful. And those are fantastic too. So you kind of have an option where you're going to stay in either in a church or um, in someone's house or um, some people would bring a tent. I did see some tents along the way, but not, not nearly very many as I had expected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that, that flavor of finding different places to stay, was pretty easy, especially, like I said, going in April, early May, less people, there's, there wasn't really a problem Mm -hmm. finding a bed. Mm -hmm. So get into town and pick one that you liked. So you mentioned the passport. How, how do you get your passport? Yeah. So the passport's really cool. It's a great idea. Um, And you pretty much get your passport when you start. Um, Wherever you start, you have a booklet that has your name on it and your address and uh, usually your passport number, like your real passport number. And then the date you, you started. Um, And then from there you end up walking. And as you walk, say you stop in a, an albergue, they have a stamp, like a special stamp for that place that you stay or some restaurants have them um, and some, churches have them. So when you go in, you can stamp your passport or have someone stamp it and then put the date. And then as you collect these stamps in your passbook, it ends up filling up with all of the places that you stayed. And actually at the end, they say you, they want you to have so many stamps in it a day or, you know, for your stay as you're going so that they can almost verify you've been to you've hiked where you've said you've hiked or you've come from where you said you came from. Yeah. Wow. They keep you accountable in a way. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the idea for the book. Plus you have this amazing souvenir at the end where you have all these stamps in a booklet. Um, and the booklet's only like six, you know, six or seven pages Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. has the map on it and you can see all the hotels you may have stayed at and places you've eaten. And like, it's a, it's a little pass book from your walk. Yeah, But then it's also your proof that you did it when you get to the end in Santiago for them to issue your diploma or oh, your certificate. Your diploma. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like a diploma, but <laughs> more like just a, you know, it's that certificate that you've, you've walked the Camino. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. What would you say were your top highlights on the Santiago? Um, immediately Pamplona pops into my head, um, just walking through that area. Um, Why? that was one of them. That, yeah. What, what makes that special? Just the streets, the cobblestone, um, had some really wonderful, you know, walking into the town, you end up walking over this gorgeous stone bridge going into the town and then 
um, like the, to see all of stuff, like the running of the bowls that happens and like all of the stuff that, that you get to see in that town. It's just a beautiful town. Yeah. Um, and then there, another one was, um, Burgos. I remember walking by the, the alberg and I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to keep moving. And then I walked a little further and saw the cathedral and I just stopped and stared at it for a minute. And I, I was blown away. I'm looking at it and I'm just like, I, I have to stay here tonight. I have to go explore this place. Like it's beautiful. The cathedral was gorgeous. So uh, it was one of those things like, yeah, it just, it caught my eye and um, I couldn't walk away from it. I had to turn around and stay at the Alberg and um, you might run into that in multiple places. Mm-hmm. Um, while you're walking, you'll see a cathedral and you'll just be like, ah, never mind. I'm going to stop here tonight. <laughs> I got to go see that. Um, so that was, that was kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, I don't know. It just so seems so picturesque. Now, what about the food along the way? What were you, what were you eating in these towns? Yes. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's like, you're either having like bread and cheese and a piece of meat, or you're having like a fantastic dinner. (laughs) Oh my God. Amazing. Um, you know, where there are pilgrim dinners and you can go into a lot of the restaurants and they just have a simple, you know, it's usually a salad, a wine and a something to eat that is like a standard price. Um, so you can find a place to stay in a meal for pretty cheap every night, but it's, you know, you kind of get what you pay for in a way. So where you hit some of these bigger restaurants where there's like, you know, fresh octopus and, you know, some of the different things that they have as far as, um, the food on the menu and some really wonderful restaurants, you can do both, um, depending on your budget and what your, you know, what your what you're planning for. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the food there was just absolutely fantastic. Tapas. Tapas is the the wonderful thing in Spain that you can get in a lot of places. And if you know some good tapas restaurants, you can just, Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but for, for most of my day, it would be, you know, I'd stop at a cafe in the morning and I get a tea and a baguette or something simple, um, croissant maybe. And then I'd find a sandwich for lunch, which was usually, like I said, a, you know, piece of cheese uh, bag- on a baguette with some meat. It was pretty simple and a drink. And then for dinner, I'd usually either get the pilgrim dinner or I'd find a restaurant and, you know, experience something else, you know, mm-hmm. the catch of the day or um, some different things I've never you know, you're there, you might as well try a few things you've never tried before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So definitely some good stuff. So what's something new that you tried? Octopus. <laughs> <laughs> that was a new one for me. Um, the octopus and the tapas. I think it's called, uh, if I remember right, Poi Poi, I think it was called. Um, if I remember, if I'm remembering that right, I think it was called Poi Poi. Um, and that's, it was octopus. And I had some friends that were uh, ordering it. And I'm like, well, I <laughs> here I am. I got to try it. It's really good. Um, ah. Very, yeah. You'll, I don't think if it's got like the little suction cups on it and the tentacles, oh. it's, it's cut up. It's cut up just the right way and cooked the right way. And it's, it was, 
quite fantastic. So um, I do remember that one for sure standing out, but I, I really loved a cup of tea and a croissant in the morning. That that was nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this sounds just such kind of a nicer experience in a way from the through hikes of getting to, to stay in people's homes and have tapas and the coffee and the bed um it's town day every day (laughs) (laughs) every day is town day and it's fantastic so when you think about it for through hikers i could see a lot of through hikers doing this and not liking it at all because it's there's too much town there's too many people there's there's not a lot of privacy as far as you know walking and having the trail to yourself is just not going to happen. Yeah. So between through hiking and this, you just have to realize, you know, if you have a mindset, you're going to go through hiking ish and you're going to do this. It's like, no, this is different. And as long as you know that, and you're, you like town and you're like a bed and you can bring a tent if you want, but you're going to run into a lot of people. Uh-huh. And yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind when you're doing this one, because it's, it's a lot more people and camaraderie. Right. Right. And so I'm just curious, I've, I have a feeling that maybe people would do this before doing a big through hike because you, you can do it in a month or a month and a half. Um, but then do you think that someone would find a through hike extremely more challenging because they had nice beds to sleep in and croissants <laughs> in the morning. And right. Totally. I could see that. And, and there's some other things that you'd run into that people might not think about. Like you don't want hiking boots on this because you're on road and paved for so much of it that my boots right away, I got rid of them. And, it, and when I did the Camino to Portuguese, I didn't even bother with hiking boots. I just started with a running, a running shoe that I like because you're on pavement so much and cobblestones that hiking boots just destroy your feet. Yeah. So you need some cushion for that for sure. And if you take that with your through hiking, like it's very different because like in, in parts of the AT, there's no way you'd, you'd want some more support. You'd want something that's more rugged to handle the rocks and stuff like that. You, you, you're gonna, you're not gonna get the same experience from this to the AT. So it's almost like you, yeah, you could do this for sure, but don't really chalk it up for training for the AT experience wise because it's definitely a different experience. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a lot of walking, but that's <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of where it ends. You have a backpack and you're walking a lot, but a lot of the other things are very different. So I'm just curious, as far as your backpack, how did you pack for this? What did you bring? Yeah, a sleeping bag, um, the clothes I walked in and the clothes I slept in, because you can you can get laundry everywhere. Um, and then I, I have a, a personal locator beacon that I carry and then music and, you know, a few a few other things. Of course, I had a phone with me and not much else. Like this is a hike you can do really with very little. Um, it, it did confuse me sometimes when I'd see, you know, the families can do this where I'd see a whole family 
doing laundry all day in one of the albergues because they had so much laundry with them. And I'm just like, hmm, I don't, you know, you don't really need to do laundry every day. Right. Right. You know, where it's like, why you don't need to bring suitcases on this one. No, you no. can, you can, it's your hike, but it just seemed like, well, probably not, not the way I think a lot of people would do it. Uh, but then, um, you know, my passport, the pilgrim passport, the guidebook. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was pretty simple. I didn't bring a lot on this one. Okay. Um, that, I mean, that's really, I mean, what a change from a through hike of, of, of you're going days without going into town and then here you're <laughs> here in town every day. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, are you eating most of your meals in towns? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always had a food bag with me just because, yeah, if you find a nice spot and you want to have lunch out on a hillside, yeah, you know, on the, on the edge of a, you know, a vineyard or you always bring snacks and food, but my food bag was always pretty small. You know, I had enough in there to get me through a day if I had to. Yeah. But since you're in town all the time, you can just pick things up as you need. Mm-hmm. I only ran into it a few times where they have the siestas in the day uh-huh. where like you're going to a shop and it's not open. <laughs> right. Um, I only ran into that a couple times and it was like, oh yeah, I would never fly in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just shut down for a couple hours in the afternoon. Um, but it, it always worked out. It always worked out. But yeah, just food was much easier to get in town. Uh-huh. and fresher in that way. And if my taste changed from what I had been carrying, like on, on the AT, I definitely ended up getting sick of some of the food I had thought I was going to eat for six months. You don't have to worry about that at all on the Camino. You can switch it up. Right, right. And and just curious, as far as the costs involved, you know, you've mentioned for through hikes to budget about $1,000 a month, but I feel like it's going to be more expensive if you're in town every day and going to cafes and, and eating out. So mm-hmm. just curious, how much would one budget for, for this? Yeah, if you are going to be staying in an albergue and doing a dinner, and this was, of course, six years ago, so maybe yeah. prices have changed a bit here and there. But you can usually get away for $30 finding a place to stay and, and a meal. But, you know, that'll get you through most of your days if you're pretty frugal with it. Um, and you could even get cheaper than that, depending on if you're trying to, you know, you're just eating simple and have a tent. Right. Pretty easy. Um, yeah, I'd say people would say like $10 for an alberg and $10 for a meal. And I didn't think that was quite right. I think it was more like 30. Um, but then depending on how, and if you plan that every day, then you're fine. Um, if you're trying to get into hotels and, you know, eating more tapas and getting a bottle of wine with every meal, like, yeah, that can start adding up. Sure. Sure. Um, for sure. And actually that was one of the things with the pilgrim dinner. Usually it did come with wine and I don't, I don't drink, but usually it would come with wine standard, like a glass of wine and with your meal, Uh um, 12 bucks, you know, $10, $12. All right. 
Now, what about language? You know, did just as a native English speaker, did you have trouble? Uh, for sure. <clears throat> but there, there was a time because I was really trying to figure it out and learn it. And it took a little while for me to start understanding some of the stuff. But there was one albergue I stayed in where I didn't speak any. Uh, and he was telling me, okay, we lock the doors at 10 o'clock. Women's bunk room is this room. Men's bunk room is, is this room. Wi-Fi, they call it Wi-Fi, not Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi <laughs> password is whatever. And there's extra food in the fridge that someone left so you can help yourself. And it was like, all of that was in Spanish and I understood everything. Um, and it was like, yes, like, this is great. I'm like starting to understand. Speaking it was something else. Like, yeah. Uh -huh. I could do a little bit. Uh, then I hit, then I feel like there was a part of Spain where you get to where it's not Spanish anymore. Like everything I just learned went out the window and it was um, some other language that's part of Spain or. What part of Spain was this else. where you just encountered? When you're getting, yeah. When you're getting over, you know, closer to the end, um, there was a section where it was a different language. Um, and I'm trying to think of what it, what it was that they were telling me it was but all of a sudden i'm like i don't understand anything this person is saying like i knew how to order a sandwich and i knew whatever and it just messed me up but it was short um trying to think of the language that they were saying it was but it's something to do with like old spain and new spain so mm -hmm. um i can't remember the the language that they were saying it was but then at the end in santiago it was like back to spanish um so all right and then, and then i had because i had known some i had taken a few years of french i lost all of that when i tried learning spanish and then like now i can't remember any of all of it because i was studying i've been studying japanese for another year so that's all out the window now mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. but you kind of get it as you go you'll you'll start to pick up you know different words and understand how to order food pretty quickly yeah yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. And it's not hard. A lot of people speak English all over the world. So wherever you're traveling, mm -hmm. someone will probably be able to help you out. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And there's also Google Translate. You know, we've, uh, when we've traveled abroad, we will download the language. And that way, if you, even if you don't have service, that Google Translate will still work. You can speak into it and then it will speak out. It's not always perfect though. I've never used that in my travels. Really? It's so well, actually, I feel bad because it's like English is so common everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, and as an American, you can really everywhere I've been, it's uh -huh. just been bits and pieces where I might have had a little problem here and there, but then there's always someone around going, Oh, I can translate for you. Oh, uh, um, we've been in a, in like a taxi for three hours in Thailand, getting from Bangkok to some random place and with a cab driver who could only speak Thai. So <laughs> it, you know, I want to get to know the person that's taking me somewhere. So it's, it's really nice to speak into it. And then you can have a full on conversation and learn about them and their life. Um, yeah. Versus just sitting in silence or reading or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I've only had one ride in Thailand that was like that. Actually, it was in Laos, and it was a guy that was taking me to the bus, and he had no English. I had 
none of his language. And it was, you know, it was really cool to just kind of like signal and hands. And we were both smiling, laughing, like we, we can't <laughs> communicate, but he knew where I was going and it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so you've mentioned the, the road, you know, you were not climbing mountains here. Um, and so it, it seems like it's fairly easy, correct? It is. I think the hardest day was the first day out of St. Jean P de Port. Cause you do actually start, um, in the Pyrenees and you just end up walking up this really long road uphill for a ways. And then you do drop into the forest a, a bit. There's a path that ends up going in and it's like, you know, your first day is like 20 kilometers to get to that first, um, alberg at the church. Mm -hmm. And that to me was probably the hardest day of the whole trail because even though you're in the Pyrenees, it's not like you're, you know, when I say you're, you're, you go across the Pyrenees, you think mountains and climbing and like, you know, these crazy mountains and it's beautiful, but really you're kind of on a roadwalk for a lot of that in the beginning. And then you end up on dirt trail, but nothing, you know, nothing compared to what just the hiking out here in the white says, you know, or any mountains and stuff like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's nothing compared to what you hike on through hikes and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's probably the hardest day is that first day. Plus, you know, it's, it's also like, you're not, you're not quite ready for all of the walking if you haven't been training. So it can be tricky for some people that are just fresh on their legs the first day going uphill for quite a ways and then trail for 20 K. Right. So, so do you think that this could be done in, in a wheelchair? I, I actually think so. I think you could do this in a wheelchair for a lot of it. There might be a couple spots here and there where you start getting on some, you know, some of the trails and you're going to run into some water features that you got to get across small ones, but like, you know, crossing over some, some water on rocks. But wow, I'd say like you could do a huge portion of this trail in a wheelchair, mm -hmm. like a lot mm -hmm. of it. Okay, well, that's really interesting. So I'm going to provide some additional resources in the show notes on experiences that you should have.com if you are looking for an accessible trail. Um, now there's multiple trails to Santiago. Is there another one that would be even more wheelchair friendly? Well, actually, and in thinking about it, this trail is road biked a lot. There are road bikers because you'll also see a lot of bikers sharing the albergs with the hikers. So there is a way that people riding bicycles can do this entire thing. Mm -hmm. So in some spots where you would run into a problem, of course, you'd be on road. Then some spots where you had to go through trail with that might not be wheelchair accessible, the road maybe accessible because there's an alternative for just the hiking way and that's the bicycling way yeah um but yes as far as like some of the other caminos the only one i could really speak to was the the portuguese one that i did and that's a up the coastline and uh, same thing a lot of road walking um there's a lot of beaches though that you run into you can that coastal walk is kind of tricky because you could either stay inland a little bit or you can stay right on the ocean. It's kind of like a few different ways that you can go up the coastline in, in Portugal. Mm -hmm. So 
you could navigate that for a good section on a wheelchair as well. All right. Look at that, guys. We have some interesting accessible routes here, um, which I don't know. I just think that's really exciting. Side note, the language was uh, Galician. Okay. Oh, Galician. Uh, yeah. Um, Basque, region of Galician, um, spoken in the region of Galicia and Basque. And I'll tell you, that's one of the most beautiful sections of the the Camino is through Galicia. It rains a lot there. Yeah. But it's gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. All right. Sounds amazing. So, so you mentioned that you started in April, but many people may start in May. Is that correct? Yeah, May or even later into June. Okay. That sounds like some hot days. Yeah, which is why I'd say get ahead of it. Start in April. Um, get ahead of some of that stuff. And I, actually, and uh, another thing that I was warned about, which I did not experience, was you could imagine with that many people coming from all over the world and with how often some of the albergues and places get used, there is sometimes a bed bug problem. Mm -hmm. um, and going early in the season would get you ahead of that. I never experienced them. I had some friends who did, um, but it's one of those things like earlier you go in the season, you get in there in June, July, August, it could be more of a problem. Um, mm -hmm. Bring your bug spray with you. <laughs> bring your mm -hmm. deed with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's just one of those thoughts too. Like no one likes to talk about those, but it's one of those things that that definitely does um, sometimes cause problems on the on the Camino. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And and what would you say was the temperature like swing each day? Oh, beautiful temperatures. Yeah. Um, I'd say you're, you do have some hotter days where it's getting up into the eighties and nineties, but, um, a lot of it was in the, that I remember was, you know, chillier at nights, colder sixties, get up and into the seventies and eighties during the day. And then some of the more exposed places where you're just really out in the open and some hot walks there, there were some days where it was probably in the nineties, um, but nothing terrible. Okay. All right. Well, good. You started early. Mm, yeah. And I'm, I was very happy for that piece of advice to go early. Um, plus my spring, just where I work in a lot of things I do my springtime, I usually end up with a couple months to take off. So it fits in perfectly with April for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just curious, I mean, what, if you had to just say like, what's that one thing just stood out the most about this experience? What would it be? Um, ironically enough, it's probably not part of the Camino. It's finishing the Camino in Santiago, watching everyone go, and then continuing the walk to Finisterre. Like there's a couple more days that you can squeeze in at the end where you walk from Santiago to Finisterre and that's or Muxia, some of my friends did Muxia instead, but um, you, you keep walking for like three more days and you end up at the ocean and like, you literally can't walk any further. Like that's the end. You're at the end of the country and there's the Atlantic. And that section really stood out to me because it was like, 
all these people. So it builds and builds and builds. And as you get closer to Santiago, there's more people because a lot of people don't do the whole thing. They just do the last few hundred kilometers. So it really starts to build up. And then by the time you get to Santiago, there's just crowds of churches. And, and then you say goodbye to your friends and then it's like, you're quiet again. And the it's gorgeous trail beyond Santiago because it's a lot less traveled and you're still in beautiful country. And I found myself alone, except for one, one night I found one other hiker and um, chatted a lot and, you know, like most pilgrims do, you know, go out to dinner and then talk about the trail and, and whatnot. And, but for those three days, it was just, it was very quiet and peaceful and like, whoa. Um, so it was, it was weird. It was actually not part of the Camino, but it was that after that little bit after like that last scoop of ice cream or the, the little bite of dessert at the end that you can savor. Um, so that stood out to me the most on this was just those three days after Santiago mm-hmm. and continuing walking mm-hmm. um, to finish there. All right. That is a, an excellent tip, uh, you know, and, and bringing in that experience to don't stop in Santiago. Uh, now, as, as far as like, being culturally appropriate. Uh, do you have any recommendations maybe as far as tipping or etiquette? Yeah. Tipping is definitely done different in a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spain is one of those. You, you just, um, you kind of figure it out as you go and it's not a common thing, um, in some places. So you just got to figure out where you're going and what the etiquette is like anywhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, as an American that travels a lot, it's like you, you kind of go in trying to learn from the people and ex- accept their culture and learn from it and kind of experience it that way instead of, obviously, you're not going to impose your own culture on, you know, you're not going to go to Japan and impose your culture on them. You're not going to go to Spain and try and impose your culture on them. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a great way to learn about how they live and experience it that way. So definitely try and let go of your what your experiences are and try and experience their way um that's definitely something that um i think is worth it to do so that you're not just going into a place and um i don't know i don't even know how to say it exactly right but your etiquette is Mm -hmm. that it Mm -hmm. you know so that's definitely something to, to be aware of and just make sure that when you're going someplace, you really respect their culture and their heritage um, and understand it. Why not learn from it instead of just, um, I don't like that. It's not, it's not American. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and embracing the people around you. Yeah. Try the siesta. Yeah. <laughs> right. See how it works for you. I mean, maybe might, that's the secret, a <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you might find you might like it a little bit more than what we're doing. What are what are the siesta hours? It it seemed to vary to me. Like I remember being a you know when I got there, I flew into Barcelona first and met a friend there, and ended up walking around the city. And we we just went to get chocolate and churros at one spot, 
and I'm walking through like, why are these shops closes? Like, it's so weird. And she's like, oh, that's yeah, they'll, they'll open up again later. And it just seemed different hours, different places. Um, I never really figured out exactly how it worked. Yeah. Yeah. But just that don't be terribly surprised if you get somewhere and it's not open. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. I I don't I don't take siestas. Uh, maybe I maybe I should, but I I have to be sick if I'm taking a nap. Essentially. Mm, uh, yeah, for me it's a, it's kind of where I am and what I'm doing. Like I've definitely fallen asleep on a mountain before, where I'm just like, oh, it's like two o'clock and I'm exhausted. So I just close my eyes and literally fall asleep on a trail. You wake up and someone's walking by and you're like, oh, it's okay. It's beautiful. You know, you find a place to take a nap and oh my God, you can get some wonderful naps in amazing places. Oh, that sounds great. Maybe that's something I should add. It's more naps in nature. It's not typical but it's definitely something i there's a few naps i've taken out there that you know i mean there's one in new zealand i'm thinking of right now it was like one of the best naps ever i was coming over a pass and i just closed my eyes for a while and i think an hour later i heard some hikers walking by and i just kind of woke up and was like oh was that on the tay Araroa? yeah 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 Yeah. ta south island which you can listen about that through hike on experiences you should have podcast. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I have to plug. We have to plug, right? It. That's a fantastic <laughs> one. If you, yeah, if you're even thinking about the TA, go listen to that podcast because that's a that's a beautiful trail. Yeah. Uh, well, you have been a wealth of information. Is is there anything you'd like to add about the Camino de Santiago? Mm, yeah that biggest tip about the boots and the walking shoes is is probably one of the biggest things is not necessarily hiking like you think you're going to be on a lot of trails out here so in spain it's more like a cobblestone and a lot of paved stuff so a lot a lot of people had bad blisters starting out getting their feet fixed so okay uh, find the most comfortable running shoe you can in my personal opinion that works for you um, and rock those because you don't need hiking boots for this one. But that's, you know, that's my personal thought on that one. All right. Well, this sounds like an amazing trail. I love the idea of coffee and a croissant in the morning and meeting people and going from town to town. It, it sounds, I don't know. It sounds very romantic. Yeah. You could, you could say that when you're, walking along and you stop and you see a cafe you love and okay, I got to eat here and you sit down and you get it, your tea and your croissant. And then like you're having your croissant and someone you met three days ago walks by and they're like, Oh, Hey. And they're start telling you stories <laughs> and then they sit down for breakfast and then you're chatting and then, okay, well, I'm going to head out or they're going to head out or you just see them off and on for, it could be the whole trail. And it, you just make some great friends that way. And have some very interesting experiences. Oh, that sounds amazing. I am I am adding this to my bucket list as as we speak right now. Um, one other thought, John Briarly, he's the guy that wrote the Pilgrim's Guide to the Camino. Uh huh. That's the book I used, and that was the book that was recommended to me. And it seems like he's been 
on point with a lot of his stuff with his guidebooks. Okay. Like I said, it's been six years, but his book was um, my small Bible for this um, because it definitely had all the, the maps and info and stuff that you think you'll need for the town. So if that's updated and that's still going, then that's, that's the guidebook I'd recommend. Great. And I will make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Mm, yeah, that'd be a good one. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rob. And for our listeners, you, if you love how Rob travels and hikes, uh, listen to the episode on the CDT, the Continental Divide Trail. Uh, he is a triple crown through hiker, which there's not many of you around. Yeah, hopefully there should be more. I yeah. hopefully get on it for those of you who are hiking out there. Get get your triple crown on. All right, <laughs> <It's> worth it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Rob. Truly, truly appreciate your wealth of information and and yeah, sharing this experience. It is my pleasure. All right. Well, until our next adventure. Thank you for listening to Experiences You Should Have podcast. If you value experiences, love adventure, trying new things, then this is the podcast for you. Please browse through our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. And please tell your family, your friends, everyone you know, about your favorite indie podcast experiences you should have.